Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another evening to gather and hear your word and fellowship together, pray together, uh, encourage one another. Lord, your word says to encourage each other daily. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, encourage our hearts even as we meet together. Holy Spirit, open your word to us. Teach us the truth tonight. Lord, I am merely a vessel. I pray that you would just speak through me. Uh, Open our ears to hear what you would say, Lord. And I pray specifically, Holy Spirit, give us insight about the house of prayer revealed in Scripture. Uh, Illuminate our understanding so that we would see prayer the way you see it and value it the way you value it, God. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the title tonight is My House is a House of Prayer. You've probably heard that before. Um, There's actually four Bible verses that mention house of prayer. And so what I try to do every once in a while is just go through the most basic concepts related to house of prayer. Um, Of course, we have house of prayer in our ministry name, but it's not, it's not really God's goal to, that we all name our ministry house of prayer. You can put any name on it you want. His goal is to get prayer in the people of God. And so I want to just talk about that. I try to hit on just specifically a, a topic like this at least once a year because we are a house of prayer but I thought it's you know early in the year, kind of a new year. I wanted to just touch on a, f- a few key themes. But uh, so that's kind of why we're getting in that tonight. Go down to uh, number two on your notes there. I'm just going to go through briefly the four verses and just talk about them a little bit. But I- Isaiah fifty six. Verse 7, Isaiah is prophesying toward the end of his book. He says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the first reference in the Bible to this concept called house of prayer. And, you know, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, God's house has been referred to many things. You know, it's called the house of God or my house. But this is the first time it's specifically called this. And it's like God is zeroing in and clarifying 
Of course, in Isaiah's day, the temple that was built in Jerusalem, it was called Solomon's Temple. It was built hundreds of years earlier and it would you know, last another hundred or two years before it was destroyed by Babylon. But God was saying through Isaiah that temple, which is the very center place of worship among the Jewish people, that place exists for prayer. And so when you think about it, When people thought of the temple, they thought that's where we encounter God. That's where we go. Kind of we think of it in terms of like that was their church, so to speak. That was the very center, like monument, you know, it was the it was the just that sacred space where God and man would meet, and there was all kinds of regulations and all. We won't get into that tonight. But God made a statement through Isaiah that I think is pretty remarkable. He says, that place is where my people are to pray. That's an interesting statement, I think. Isaiah was the first and only Old Testament figure to make this comment. There's one person in the Old Testament that called God's house a house of prayer. It's a significant statement. And even more interestingly, there's only two people in the Bible that called God's house a house of prayer. It was Isaiah and Jesus Christ himself. So Isaiah touches on it a little. Before I get on to the next three instances, I do want to say this. What's interesting to me is that when Isaiah mentions house of prayer, he, he speaks of a number of things, but one of them he says, notice that I'll make them joyful. In my house of prayer. You know, we think of God's house as a place of serious burnt offerings and sacrifices and holy of holies and you could die if you do it wrong. But Isaiah begins to go, you know what, That's you're actually supposed to be happy in there. And so he introduces a number of interesting ideas that would kind of just sit there on the shelf until Jesus elaborated a little bit on these. But I think it's interesting, through Isaiah, God saying, that's a house of prayer, that temple over there, and that's where I put joy in the heart. If they go in there and they pray, that's where I've ordained that space as a sacred space. They go pray and experience gladness or joy, or they get filled with my spirit and they're happy. That's pretty cool. And then Isaiah, he does make a radical statement. He says it's for all nations. Of course, the temple was for Jewish people. And he's already prophesying of a day where the God of Israel would welcome all people, not just the Jewish people, but Gentiles or non-Jews as well. And so that's a whole other topic. I may, I'm going to touch a little bit on that tonight. But Isaiah was prophesying some very interesting and radical notions just kind of flies under the radar if you read it quick. But then we go to the New Testament. Jesus, in Matthew 21, He says, It's written, He's referring to Isaiah, My house shall be called a house of prayer. You remember when Jesus said this, because He went to the temple and He rebuked people. And he says, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. You're making it a den of thieves. I think everybody's heard that statement. What, what Jesus does here is he takes 
part of Isaiah's verse, and he takes something from Jeremiah, puts them together, and he says, this place has been prophesied by Isaiah to be a place of prayer, but you're coming into the temple and you're doing these business transactions. And, and not only that, they're corrupt business transactions. You're stealing from one another and you're charging interest and you're selling things. And this is never what I had in mind for the central place of worship for the people of God. And there are many times in Scripture where there are, are uh, not many, but there's a few instances in the, in the Gospels where you'll see the, this zealous Jesus where he's really worked up. He knocks things over and is, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. And it's just like, whoa, don't, don't mess with that guy in that moment there. And so there is a zeal in the heart of God. There is this zealousness for God's house to be what it was called to be. And when we turn it into something else and we kind of merchandise it, it stirs up displeasure in the Lord. And he's so and, and God's displeasure is different than ours. It's always righteous and redemptive. And so he's got a plan. And so right now, the prayer movement in the earth is God's plan. And he's restoring prayer to the house of God. Because in many, in, many, uh, in, in, in many ways, much of the church has gone to this merchandising model where we're trying to get as much money as possible and kind of product the gospel. And the Lord's going, ooh, no, that is missing the mark. You, you don't need more money. You need me in your house. That's the problem. You need me. And if you get God, you have a thousand other things you need. <laughs> You know, and so our nation needs God. And so when our nation needs God, he's, God says, I got to get back in the church. I got to get back among the people of God. And the way he does that is he restores prayer to that central place of worship. That's what he's doing right now. That's why little buildings like this exist all over America, all over the world, various sizes. It's the spirit orchestrating a global move where he's saying, I'm taking what my temple is always supposed to be a praying people. And I'm making that central again, because that's really what my house is to be about. Now you do a hundred other things in the house of God. We're supposed to evangelize. We're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to disciple the nations. We're supposed to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, serve the poor, love our neighbor. There's a thousand things the church is called to do, but prayer is the central piece. And when you take prayer out, you, you essentially strip the power of God out of the church because that's how God intervenes. We say, Lord, move in our community. And he moves in the community. That's how he's arranged it. And so he's, he's zealous. He's, he's, he's got a plan and he's working that plan out. And part of that plan is to, is to bring prayer back to a prominent place in every gospel preaching church, every Ministry that names the name of Jesus, He's doing it in our day. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. I am so ahead of myself and off the notes right now. Okay, amen. Thank you. All right, good. Love the feedback. Let's go to Mark. Excuse me. Mark 11:17. Similar idea. Says nearly the same thing. This is just Mark writing what Jesus said. It is, is it not written? 
My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it a den of thieves. Again, he Mark, what I like here is he adds the for all nations. And so Jesus is, again, quoting Isaiah, the full, the full Isaiah text. And so there's this idea of a house of prayer that includes all nations. And I think that has multiple meanings. I think the house of God is... He wants to bring all the nations into the house of God and He wants to touch all the nations through the house of God. not going to spend too much time on that. It's a reference to Gentile nations. If you recall, in the book of Acts, when the Gospel began to be preached throughout society, something the apostles had to work through was, does the Gospel go to Gentiles or not? At first they thought it was just to the Jewish people. There was through radical circumstances that Peter was like, no, an angel appeared and I had this experience and all these miracles happened with the Gentiles. The Gospels for the Gentiles as well. Because there was, there was a point in time where that was not clear. And so again, the for all nations is a reference to the gospel being for all people. In Luke 19.46, Jesus says, My house is a house of prayer. Again, these are just Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this concept written down. My house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. I've got a working theory on kind of what the Holy Spirit is emphasizing through each of these. When Jesus was ministering in that time period, there was a temple, Herod's temple. So the Solomon's temple was destroyed. They rebuilt the temple hundreds of years later. And so the temple that Jesus is talking about is Herod's temple. And so when He's pointing to the temple, it's not the same one as Isaiah. It's a rebuilt temple. And he's saying, this temple has the same prophetic promises as that other temple. It's, it's essentially, it represents the center of religious activity for the Jewish people. And he's reiterating, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. But you've again turned it into, a, so they had, they had trouble with it in Isaiah's day. You know, when Isaiah spoke that, it was true then, and then Jesus reiterates it of Herod's temple. He's saying this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but I believe also Jesus is pointing into the future as well because He says twice, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's like it is now, but that temple is going to be destroyed, but there's a reality beyond that. And I can't do too much. I believe there will be another temple rebuilt. And there's a whole series of messages we can do. There will be a literal temple in Jerusalem rebuilt again, I believe. They're already, you know, it's all set up and all that. They're going to do it. I believe that is going to be a key prophetic fulfillment. But that's just the physical fulfillment. There will be a spiritual reality of house of prayer in the whole earth that kind of they kind of mirror each other. Just as there is a growing move of prayer in the church throughout the earth, there's going to be a 
a temple. There's going to be a real temple that's rebuilt and the Jewish people will resume their activities within it. Again, that's a whole other message. But I'm kind of taking this uh, the spiritual application of house of prayer. I want to look at what it means in our day. If this is completely new information, I understand. Just bear with me. I always tell people, look it up, the verses on your own. See, see with your own eyes what I'm going through. Why do I say there's going to be a third temple? Uh, a number of reasons. The, the Herod's temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by Rome. So the, the, the Solomon's temple was destroyed by Babylon, 586 B.C. And then the Herod's temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. And so right now, you know, they're 2,000 years ago, I believe it's going to be rebuilt. But house of prayer is a reality that transcends a building. Okay, I think there's going to be a building. But when God says, my house, there's supposed to be prayer there. That's any time we build a house of God, he says prayer needs to be in that place. That, that's what he's essentially saying. It's not limited to one building in Jerusalem, although that's a huge signpost. He's saying, my house. You put a church up on the side of town, if that's my house, you got to have prayer in it. Uh, you build a mega church. You do a home church. You do a soup kitchen. If it bears my name, pray in it. Because if you pray in it, that's how you get me in it. In the one sense, He's everywhere. He's benevolent. He'll bless the earth because He's God. He causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I get that. That's God's general blessing on the earth. But there is a specific way to move the hand of God. And that specific way is through prayer or by interceding or petitioning the Lord or making supplication. There's many names. But this is how we are called to interact with God. We as God's people are to be a praying people, an intercessory people. We see a need and we go, God, break in and do something there. Lord, that's unjust. We ask for your justice. Or over here, that's not right. We ask for your mercy. Or that man, they need it. They have a need. Release finance. That's how the, the people of God are to interact with Him. It was never supposed to be, you're saved, now don't talk to me until we meet in eternity. Well, what kind of relationship is that? Prayer is supposed to be the center because conversation is how you have a relationship. He never wanted to be a friend that never hears from us or we never talk. He, he never wanted even for us to just read the book about him. He wants the book even to be about a conversation where we talk to him about it. We go through life and we talk. And we go to our meetings, uh, our defined meetings on Sundays or Fridays, and we, we really interact with him. And we, you know, we see the guy in the corner there looks a little discouraged, and we go, hey, bro, let me pray for you. And God comes and touches that guy. And so it's, he's always wanted it to be a praying people, a, a people relating to him in real time. He didn't want it to be like, well, Lord, I, you know, 20 years ago I knelt at the altar and we're good, right? He says, no, I want to be friends with you every day. I want you to talk to me. And, and I know everything, but talk to me. Because when you say things to me, it's meaningful to me, and I release blessing. 
Oh, there's so much to say about house of prayer. There's so many levels. He wants you to be a house of prayer because you're the temple, the New Testament says. He wants the corporate temple, the church body, individual congregations to be a house of prayer where people within that congregation are praying together. He wants the citywide church. He wants a thousand congregations being praying congregations. He wants a nation filled with praying congregations and praying cities. He wants us to be a praying people. Now, I talk a lot about prayer. And some people say, well, what about worship? Or what about singing or this or that? And it's, yeah, we do all of it. We do everything. Worship is a form of prayer and prayer is a form of worship. You don't want to like split those theological hairs and analyze it. It's like, why split a hair? It's like you're communing with God, whether you're singing. Paul made this clear many times. Whether you pray with your spirit or sing with your spirit or pray with your known tongue or sing with your known tongue, you're, you're communing with God. And so we don't try to like, you know, some people try to split prayer and worship like it's two different things. And it's, it's one reality, just different expressions. God's calling us to be a people interacting with Him. And we talk to Him in English. We sing to Him in English. And if you know other languages, talk to Him in those languages and sing to Him in those languages. If you have a, a prayer language, talk to Him in that. Sing to Him in that. The idea is to pray, to commune, to intercede. You can do this in, you know... Friday night at a house of prayer, you can do this Sunday at church, you can do it throughout the day while you're driving in the grocery store. I love being places. Holy Spirit, what are you saying about people here? Maybe I could pray for someone. You get little impressions. Hey, you don't even know me, but I just sensed this, and all of a sudden they're crying, and it's like, what is that? The kingdom just happened. You never know how God will use you wherever you are, just praying, just turning your attention to Him, communing with Him. I'm kind of going all over the place here. I promised till midnight, right? <laughs> so, okay, all right, oh no, I'm in trouble now. Isaiah said, my house is to be a house of prayer for the nations. Jesus is my house shall be called a house of prayer. He said it in Mark. It's, it's a house of prayer for all nations. Luke, my house is a house of prayer. And so we have to figure this out. Sometimes people, I talk to them. I've had many conversations because anytime you pray, people think you're trying to be better than them. And it's just, it's like, no, <laughs> this is what I'm called to do. This is just one valid ministry among 10,000 valid ministries in just central Illinois. But I didn't name it House of Prayer. Okay, Jesus did. And when Jesus names something House of Prayer, God does. Because Jesus is God. So it's like, that's an important statement. Like, it's not a new thing. The Holy Spirit's kind of breathing life on this concept of prayer. But again, the goal isn't to have a bunch of buildings that say House of Prayer. The goal is Jesus said this. And so evidently, if it's God's house, it's got to have prayer in it. And so you don't have to start a house of prayer, but it's, it's pretty clear He wants us to be in prayer meetings. He wants us to be a part of praying churches or help building them or supporting them. And again, there's a hundred things we do. But again, He never says in Scripture, my house is to be called a house of teaching. 
My house is to be called a house of worship or outreach or evangelism. He says prayer. And I, and I have many opinions on why. I'm just going to, this is conjecture. I think he said prayer because it's the one thing we wouldn't do if it didn't say it. Because we'll do anything but pray, right? We'll do anything but actually go to a prayer meeting. We'll, we'll give money. We'll show up at the early morning Saturday men's breakfast. We'll do, I mean, I'm not criticizing these. I'm just saying I've done this all. We'll do anything but when the pastor says, hey, I got an idea. Let's have a prayer meeting Tuesday night. Ooh, maybe I'll not show up to that. You know, it's just there's prayer is difficult. Prayer is just like, I would rather do something else. I'd rather, you know, use my time better. He says prayer. You know, there's the Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And I think about that often because... You know, we always say, well, prayer's hard because my schedule's so full. But I think there's a key in Second Chronicles 7.14. Humility actually precedes prayer. If my people will call by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Prayer's hard because we're hard. Prayer's hard because it requires humility to actually go, oh, I need you, God. I actually need to go to the prayer meeting. We want to be independent of God. We want to do everything on our own and figure out life on our own. And he goes, it's a house of prayer. You need me. You don't think so, but you actually do. And I tell you, the older I get, the harder life gets. I'm like, ooh, you're right. I didn't know it before, but I need you for like every breath, every heartbeat, like everything. You just are everything. I need more of you. And some people say, well, I've already got all of God. I'm saved. And, and that's great. That's, that's correct theologically, but it's not the full truth. We have all of God and we get more of God. <laughs> we, I'm fully saved. I'm not trying to get more saved. Okay, this moment I say I'm in, the Spirit comes in. I'm full of the Holy Spirit, all that. I get it. God says, yeah, that's great. You're in. You're following me. You're saved. Going to heaven forever. But there's more. You need to contend for your family. You need to contend for your city. It's like some people, they get so caught up with theological arguments. It's like, well, I don't want to get into legalism like I thought I was all the way saved. And you are, but your city's not saved. (laughs) The nation needs Jesus. The world is at war. Like God wants to break into pockets all over. And so he says, contend for more and you'll see more. We need people praying. In fact, I love it. There's a spot in one of Paul's letters uh, where Paul says, uh, I'm going to botch the verse. I'm not exactly sure right where it's at. But Paul says, uh, I desire that men everywhere, you know, lift hands, uh, you know, without wrath and doubting. But he says somewhere in there that everybody needs prayer. He, he literally makes a statement that, that we would pray for all men, including kings and those in authority, And God's like, I want people praying for every single person on the earth that they get saved, filled with my spirit, and, you know, all the way down the line. I want everybody getting prayed for. My house is called a house of prayer. Praise the Lord. I heard someone say to me once, Derek, I don't know if anybody gets saved until they're prayed for. 
It's like, whoa, that's a novel concept. Maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe that's why Paul says that he wishes that all men would be saved. And then he also says that everybody needs prayer. I'm going to look this up and get it to you one of these days. It's somewhere in there. What if there are people in our life that are not saved because we just simply have not asked God? We just simply haven't prayed. Let's pray for them. Maybe we could be intercessory pioneers. No one has ever prayed for Johnny over here to ever get saved. We're the first one to pray for their salvation. And we just continue, Lord, save that guy. Pick the hardest person you know. Pick the furthest atheist out there that is in your life, the, the, the hardest family member, and just begin to say, Lord, you love them. Touch them, God. Change their whole family. And who knows? We know that we serve a God who does the whole Saul to Paul thing on the road to Damascus. I don't care how far gone they are. You know, we look at some situations as totally hopeless. Saul of Tarsus was hopeless. On the road to Damascus, he wasn't thinking about going to church. It says he was breathing threats and murder. He was in a demonic fury to go kill more Christians. And Jesus just goes, Phew! and just blows the guy up with light and fire and just says, you're mine now, Saul. And he gets up out of that going, God is real. That's what a house of prayer does. That early church was like a furnace of prayer. They didn't stop in Acts chapter 2. And that spirit came and blew that prayer meeting up and tongues of fire were shooting everywhere. They didn't stop and go, that's, that's a great service. They go, if this works, we're going to keep doing this. And guys like Saul of Tarsus are getting saved. By the way, Saul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. <clears throat> Imagine if there weren't people praying for that guy. We wouldn't have so, oh man, I just tremble to think that guy not getting saved. Of course, God knew what he was doing. Where, where are the Saul of Tarsuses in our generation right now? What are they doing? And folks, they're, they're a couple prayer meetings away from the, the, the scales tipping and the light touching him. They're, they're on their way to go traffic kids. They're on their way to go do their you know drug deal or whatever they're on their way to go get in another gang war whatever they're in the, in the you know i think of the hardest places in the earth you know the 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 oh gosh i think of the the death camps that are all over the world i think of north korea where are the Saul of tarsus is in north korea right now where are they in afghanistan or where are they at in communist china and as we keep praying oh Man, I have this dream of just hundreds of churches. You, you can barely get in. There's so many people praying. In Peoria alone, <clears throat> you try to go to the church, you can't get in. It's packed. There's too many people praying. You try to come to the house of prayer, it's, it's all the way out into the street, people trying to pack in and pray. I believe for these kinds of things. And when that's going, oh my goodness, because people think that's it. That's not it. That's, that's unto something even greater. When God begins to move and prayer meetings fill up, upper rooms like this one, and you can't even get in. We've had a few nights like that, and it's like, oof. But man, imagine dozens. Imagine hundreds in just our city. 
I've heard a couple churches here in America right now where you got to go like three hours earlier. You're not getting in. Imagine if that's the norm everywhere. You try to go to the Methodist church across the street, can't get in, didn't come three hours early. It's packed already. Uh, okay, I'm going to try downtown. Uh, they had a later service, but you got to come four hours early. Like, I mean, imagine dozens of those starting to spring up. And what kind of power is going to be released when they're praying? Because something's going to shift where that starts to happen, and then they're going to keep praying. See, in the, oh man, this is getting me going. In the New Testament, they just didn't stop praying. They just, when the Spirit moved, they just kept going. The people who went to the early prayer meetings, the Acts chapter 2 prayer meetings, after that, they had all kinds of prayer times. And again, we don't, it's not going to be as powerful as Acts chapter 2 every time. But they just kept praying. They kept going to their personal prayer times. They kept going to prayer meetings. They prayed on the way to prayer meetings. And God just kept breaking in. What I love about the early church is not only did they have powerful prayer meetings, and not only did they have multiple prayer meetings that they were always going to, but the miracles happened on the way to prayer meetings. Acts chapter 2 and 3, they're just on their way to the next prayer meeting and there's people in need and they're just like, I don't even got time to just be healed in Jesus' name. It's just like miracles happening all the way. It's just incredible. And God's saying, look, if you will pray, if, if my house is a house of prayer, and, and I get it, I love like fancy lights and like cool teachings and programs that reach the city and all these things are great but if we really want to do it right prayer's got to be at the center because prayer is like bringing god's spirit into infuse all of the other programs i would even advocate this is maybe a little touchy i would advocate even just shutting a few things down for a season so we can double down on prayer you know some things are just so broke it's like it's already done. It's dead. Just shut it down and just take all those people, put them in a prayer meeting. I, I say this kind of jokingly. Sometimes people, they lose their job. And I go, if you get in a prayer meeting, I'm dead serious. You get in a prayer meeting and you just show up every day, you'll be hired back so quick somewhere. It will not even be funny. The devil does not want you praying. He will just give you a job. <laughs> I mean, I'm being a little silly, but I've seen people do that where they're like, I don't know where to work, and they just keep going to prayer meetings, and then just something happens. They, they're in work again. That's a little bit in jest, but I mean, it's like the enemy will do anything to keep us out of prayer. My house is a house of prayer. I'm going to just spend my life telling people this is the way forward. I'm not the best guy out there. I'm just an average dude. I, I see the Bible and I go, God said that. We need teaching. We need worship. Light, you know, special effects are cool and big screens and that's all cool, but is there prayer? We have to be honest about that. Is there prayer? A couple concluding thoughts. This is just my call to action. I don't ever like to strong arm people. I don't like to twist arms. I just, I just like to put out invitations. We pray here. If you ever wanted to just come and pray, I recommend just a regular, put it on your weekly schedule. Mondays might be open. Come on a Monday night. 
Maybe maybe you're not available at nights. Go to your you know church's midday prayer meeting or you know whatever is going on at your church. Go there, start one. I mean, there's a lot of pastors out there that are trying to figure out prayer. And if you step up and say, "Hey, you know, what do you think if I did like a Saturday morning thing with a few guys?" Sure. But sometimes they're not into that, so you just come to the house of prayer. You pray here with us. But uh, if you have an opening in your schedule, we're right now we're doing every night, 7 to 8 p.m., come on out. Um, consider supporting Greater Peoria House of Prayer financially. We, the only way we can keep doing prayer meetings is if we can pay the bills. Uh, the, uh, the landlord likes it when we pay our rent. And so um, something to pray about. I, this year we're believing for 80 people. Families, organizations, churches, etc., that will partner at a hundred a month. And if eighty people gave a hundred a month to GP Hop, our whole budget's covered for the whole year. It's not that much. So just something to think about. But my house is a house of prayer. The last thing I want to say is, is we're not like this is not. You know, the, the prayer ministry God's raising up, we're, we're called to be a servant ministry. We're called to be like an intercessory foot washer for, for all kinds of churches. And, and every church is supposed to have prayer, but prayer isn't like the superior thing. Prayer is just supposed to be central. So we're not trying to be the best thing out there. We're just trying to be obedient and call the church to just, this has got to be at the center. And if prayer is at the center, God visits, God moves, God answers, and His blessing is released. And so we're, that's what we're about. We're not trying to like be the you know, greatest whatever. We're just trying to be faithful and, and convince a few more people this is the way forward. My voice is going to start giving out here, so I better end. Oh, 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 I'm busted. All right, we'll pray till midnight. How about that? Okay. We'll leave you in charge when we're done, huh? <laughs> Let me just uh, say amen there. And then we'll just do a couple, any questions. I like to do every once in a while just one or two questions if you have any. If not, we'll just uh, we'll circle up and we'll pray for, for a moment here. Any thoughts or questions? Uh, I was taught in discipleship as a question. I want to know if I was right. Okay. I thought I was taught in something that prayer, the definition of prayer was talking to God. Is that true? Yeah. I would say that's a great starting definition. It's a, it's a conversation. Talking to him and, and hearing back from him primarily through the Bible. So I had another question. Okay. Pretty much. Well, I mean, you could spend time. Worship is, you know, singing and, and music, but worship is also our life. You know, it's a, it's a, we worship God through making righteous decisions. But when people ask me, you know, do I pray or do I sing? It's like, well, that's kind of the same thing. So it's, you say worship is everything in a nutshell? Yeah, you could argue both. You know, I, I would say... Worship is obedience, and part of obedience is prayer. And so I just, you know, sometimes it's two sides of the same coin or part of the same theological hair, and you just why split it in half. 
So I just, you know, prayer, you're, you're talking to God, you're conversing with him, communing, and that can involve worship. And so, yeah, I'd say that's pretty, you're pretty right on there. I got to charge you now. <laughs> I got bills to pay. No, <laughs> go for it. Uh, okay, so praying in tongues. Uh huh. So that's that's saying you can't pray in tongues because the Bible clearly says not everybody will get the gift of tongues. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think everybody can. I don't think it's like, but just some won't. And much fewer will be used to to use that gift in like a church setting. So I can't remember exactly which verse you're you're referencing, but yeah, I think I think anybody that asks God's Spirit could surprise them, and they could have that gift. But I don't think everybody will. It's just based on humanity. But I don't think you know. Uh, this gets into a larger topic. A Christian. Every Christian on earth is fully saved already. If they know Jesus, the Holy Spirit's completely inside of them. They have every gift. They have everything. But it's just the it's the it's the yeah the manifestation of those gifts. It's different for everybody. Some will be used in different ways, and some it'll even be like administratively. It won't be tongues. And so that's just uh, you're not less than if you got this gift or that gift. But but Paul did in First Corinthians fourteen. He said earnestly desire these gifts. And I, would, I don't think that God would tell us to desire them if we couldn't have any of them. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Right. And the reason why I asked about a gift of tongues is I was always taught at Riverside they say that if you have the gift of tongues, it helps fight spiritual warfare like that. Is that I, I would agree. Yeah, I think... Yeah, there, it's, it's a double-edged sword because there's many verses that say praying in the Spirit kind of gets us more in tune with God. But then some get proud about it too, and then that, so that gets them in kind of a dangerous place of pride. And so you just gotta you gotta walk it out humbly. But using your prayer language, in my experience, it's powerful. So this prayer language, I'm sorry, y'all. Like I'm getting to the meeting. He's just asking every question out there. So, <laughs> so you should get into your prayer language. That doesn't necessarily mean speaking in tongues, then, right? That's how I'm saying it. That's what I mean. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe it's something I'm naturally that's getting through because the Bible also says that you have to fast and cast out certain demons too. Yeah, it says that. You're right. Prayer and fast will. will... Yeah, Jesus said only this this kind only come out through prayer and fasting. That's a whole other mystery. Because it seems to imply that there are certain demonic powers that you have to have a life of prayer and fasting to be used in that way. So there's all kinds of levels of, you know, there's many things I don't understand. But I just, it's like, Lord, help me to be a man of prayer and fasting so I could help people if they ever were in that. I've heard crazy stories, and the people who have lives of prayer and fasting generally are used in more miraculous ways. It's just how I've seen it. And they didn't earn it, but they just they cooperated with how it works. That's the only way I know how to say it. <laughs> Anybody else have a question besides yours? No. All right. We'll go to somebody else after this one. Last question. If prayer is so important, how come most churches don't have it every day? 
Oof. Wow. That's a great question. Uh, it's hard. And nobody comes. It's just, it's a very, it's, it, it, it's reflective of the spiritual condition of modern Christianity. Ooh. Um, I think I think uh, we're 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 in a difficult place here in our nation. Um, we'll do almost anything but pray, and it's a battle. I mean, it's just it's tough. So I mean, I don't want to say that like you know oh, it's doom and gloom, but the Lord is clearly putting His finger on this issue. I think, okay. and He wants us to get our, our spiritual strength back. And he does so in kindness. He's not a he doesn't condemn the church back into obedience. You know, Paul said in Romans, it's the kindness or goodness of God that leads us to repent. So he's very kind, but he's zealous and he's moving us that direction. And I think he's gonna he's gonna win. He's he's a good leader. He'll get us there. I mean, I look at the early apostles. They were so out there. They were squirrely on top of squirrely, and he made them mighty men. And he's doing that today. And, but it, it's it's a cooperation. You know, we got to obey him step by step. And we go forward a few, and then back a few, and then forward a few. But over time, we're stronger. And I think he's kind of he's using these hard cut last couple years to really help the church grow. I think. But there's coming a time where we're gonna. We're going to wish we had a deeper history of prayer. Uh, I'm currently reading uh, about uh, one of the battles of World War II. And, I mean, just things can get ugly real quick. And we just, I mean, oh, man, it was so different back then. People were so godly because the world was on fire. And so it's just you hope it doesn't take something like that to get everybody spiritually in shape again, but I have a feeling that's where it's going. Um, when there's calamity, people suddenly turn back to the Lord. And so, I, I again, it's my prayer is like, Lord, I hope it doesn't have to be severe, but all through the Bible, there has to be severe things happening around before the people are like, oh, okay, I'm going to get back in now. So, But better just to, to do it right now. I mean, I think of the things going on with Russia and Ukraine and how that could just spiral out of control and all of a sudden there's a few more countries and and then you just stuff happens. I mean and then all of a sudden the world's at war and I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but it could, but it couldn't. But one of my uh favorite books called Unbroken. Have you guys ever seen the movie or read the book Unbroken? Come on. And he, so Louis Zamperini was like the best runner and he was going to the Olympics and then all of a sudden World War II started. And so they just shut the whole thing down and he had to go fight in the war. And it's just like war has this thing where it just, it just shuts everything down and all you can do is pray. And I just think we're heading there quickly. And I don't want that to be the case, but there, it just seems like that's inevitable. It's a tough way to end a message. <laughs> We're heading toward another world war. I hope not. But uh, it's, there's never been a better time to just get fully on fire for the Lord, pray, seek Him, be a praying church, be a, just be a praying person. 
So many of the prophets, so many of the great men and women throughout history, they just had regular jobs. They just prayed. I think of a guy named Smith Wigglesworth. God used him in miracles, and he just was like a plumber who just prayed and sought God. So I think of uh, back back row there, Renee just just comes and prays, and God answers. So we've got some great people in here. I'm preaching to the choir. You all know this stuff. Amen. Any another question or two, and then we'll we'll close. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org/teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.